morning. If you're a guest, I'm really glad you decided to be here today. Uh, we're starting a new series today called The Beast, the Dragon, and the Empire. If you've never been here before, you're thinking, what in the world are you talking about? Well, we're talking about the book of Revelation. Revelation is the very last book in the Bible. And the man who wrote the book of Revelation, John, one of the disciples of Jesus, is giving names to realities that we experience every day uh, that we would call beasts and dragons and empires that are out to get us. And um, so we're going to unpack what that means for the next several weeks uh, as we look at some of the middle part of the book of Revelation and some of the things that uh, are, are most fascinating and also most confusing at the same time. But here's what I want you to do before we read the scripture this morning. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, you're going to be set free today. Then I want to invite you to stand with me as you do that, and I will read from the book of Revelation, chapter 13. It'll be on the screen. You can follow along as I read aloud, and uh, let me read this now. Then I, John, saw a second beast coming out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, but it spoke like a dragon. It exercised all the authority of the first beast, and he's referring to verses 1 through 11, that we'll talk about here in a little bit, on its behalf, and made the earth and its inhabitants worship that first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. And it performed great signs, causing fire to come down from heaven to the earth in full view of the people. Because of the signs, it was given power to perform on behalf of the first beast. It deceived the inhabitants of the earth. Did you know there's someone trying to deceive you? It ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And the second beast was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that the image could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. Now listen, this is the part that everyone says, what is this? We're going to talk about it today. It also, also forced all people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hands or on their foreheads. So they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the person who has insight calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. And that number is 666. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you so much for standing. Uh, Well, I want to try and teach you today. We're going to talk today about evil. We're going to talk about uh, the grip that it has on our life. And if you've ever felt like uh, there is something out to get you, I'm going to confirm today that yes, there is something out to get you. Uh, but really, I'm going to be kind of teaching, and, and it's, we're going to build on this in the next uh, several weeks. We're going to apply this as we go, um, as we're, we're learning about all that John's trying to teach us here in this letter. Uh, but you need to keep in mind where we've been. Now, if you haven't been here, we've spent the last four weeks uh, in a series called The Lamb Wins, and looking at the central figure in the book of Revelation is the lamb that was slaughtered but is still standing. And that lamb is Jesus Christ, who was slaughtered on the cross and then resurrected from the dead. And so you have to keep in mind that the Lamb wins. Can you say that out loud with me? The Lamb wins. So this is a book about Jesus and how to remain faithful to Jesus, not necessarily a roadmap for the apocalypse as it's often uh, portrayed. Now, let's just get a little bit of the lay of the land. Uh, This is a book that many people say is about the end times. People ask me as a pastor, are we living in the end times? Meaning, 
is a cataclysmic end to this earthly existence going to happen? Is there going to be a giant battle of Armageddon? Uh, is that what's going to happen? Is this the end times? And many people say that Revelation is kind of a roadmap for the end times. There's is a real a sense of fascination about it. We all want to know what's going to happen in the future. Uh, in every age and in every generation, people have asked this question. Christians have asked this question. Is this the end? Uh, is this, is this, this how it all ends? What's going to happen? Uh, and there's actually a market for this fascination, specifically with the book of Revelation. There's a set of books called the Left Behind series. Maybe you've read that. They sold millions and millions of copies of that book, uh, of those books, based on a, a peculiar interpretation of the book of Revelation. And uh, there were movies that were made when I was younger, and then those books were written. And, and honestly, the, the, the interpretation of the book of Revelation in those books, I'm not going to get into all the detail here, is about 150 years old. We're followers of Jesus, and so we together with all the saints from all of the ages learn to follow Jesus together. And so um, that interpretation of the book of Revelation, uh, we have 2,000 years of people following Jesus and remaining faithful to Jesus and saying this is what it means to be a Christian in this age. And, and only in the last 150 years has this kind of um, different interpretation of the book of Revelation been put forth in books like the Left Behind series. Now, I'm not going to get into all that. If you have questions about that or you disagree with me, you can be wrong, and you can talk to me afterwards, right? That's, that's all good. It's all good with that. We can talk about that. Uh, but so, so it's about, it gets into this whole thing about the end times, but there's this right in the center of it, probably the thing that even if you're not a religious person, you've heard of or seen or wondered what, what is the mark of the beast. Now, how many of you have heard that phrase, the beast, before? Right? Okay. Uh, growing up, the beast uh, was taught to me that this was a person that we were to look for that was going to solve all the world's problems. Uh, it was going to be a false person uh, who would be motivated by Satan, and John is referencing that. We're going to unpack this here in a little bit, and that people would worship him, but it would be a trick. And so we were taught, I think maybe rightly so, to be suspicious of people that are in power and have massive amounts of power over massive amounts of humanity. And so uh, when I grew up, uh, some people thought that Mikhail Gorbachev, the, the premier of uh, Russia, was the Antichrist. Or some people thought Ronald Reagan. Or some people think the Catholic Church and the Pope is the Antichrist or, or the Beast. And, and, and uh, there, there's some legitimacy to that, to being suspicious about people with massive amounts of power. But when John is telling us about the mark of the beast, he's talking to us about the nature of evil, and he uses this, this three-number three thing, 666, that for many of us uh, functions as the embodiment of evil. Someone before the surf, first service came up and was telling me how uh, they, they were just this week in a restaurant and they got their bill, and it, had, it was $6.66, and the rest of the day, they were just messed up. They're like, oh my gosh, their life's coming apart, 666. Um, so it, it would be, be kind of like if, if we said that the ushers, and they're not, if the ushers were coming down right now, we'd like you to put your right hand out, and we're going to stamp you with the number 666. You would recoil and run, most of you, right? You'd be like, what, what in the world are you, are you trying to do? Well, uh, since John's trying to teach us about the nature of evil, and we'll unpack what this means here in a minute, uh, we've got to ask the question, what what is evil in our day? Now, I'd, I'd argue that uh, evil for most of us is sectarian. In other words, uh, we say that evil is what people on the other side of our issues think. <laughs> my people and my tribe and my understanding, uh, we're right. We're the righteous ones. And the people on the other side, whatever they think, they're just complete morons and they're probably influenced by the devil and they're evil. It's sectarian, and we've kind of lost the ability or we're losing the ability in our culture to name something 
as evil. Now, uh, maybe the best definition of what evil is comes from a, a, a guy by the name of Scott Peck. Scott Peck uh, was, is a psychologist. Later in his life, he discovered the grace of God in Jesus, and he became a Christian because of it. Uh, but he had a massive a practice of psychology, written a lot of best-selling books, and he wrote a book. You don't read it. I read it for you, so you don't have to because uh, it's terrifying, called The People of the Lie. And what he, what he records there is in his psycho- psychological practice, the people that he met, that he said, I, I had no classification for these people and their behaviors other than they were evil. And so he starts out the book trying to say uh, what evil is, and he says uh, that he was talking to his daughter one day, his, li- his young daughter, and he's trying to you know, explain, he's writing his book about evil and what evil is, and you know, he's not quite sure how to describe what evil is. And she said, oh, daddy, that's simple. Evil is live spelled backwards. Like out of the mouths of babes, right? And, and that's, I think, the best definition of evil that I know. Evil is the opposite of life. Evil is whatever takes the life that God gives. And so John says that the, the, the person who makes this mark is what he calls the beast. That's uh, in the original uh, language that was written in. That was uh, the, the, the kind of generic word for a wild beast that you might encounter in the wild, the kind of wild beast. If you meet that wild beast that you know, you better run. I was hiking with some friends of mine one time in the Colorado Rockies. We were backpacking, and, and um, somehow I hurt my knee. And if you've ever been there, you got to go up and down. And I, I've read all these stories, and I know that are, there are mountain lions, which are you know, larger than a grown man, and they find the weak person in the party, and they pounce on them and eat them. And I'm, I'm behind everybody limping, and I'm like, hey, hey, guys. All I can think is uh, this wild beast is going to confront me, and they're going to pick me off in the back. Stop, stop, stop. I don't want to be eaten by the wild beast. This is the word that John uses. It's, he's saying there's this beast that if this beast saw you, it would just devour you. Have you ever felt that way? Like something's just out to devour your soul, devour your life? This is what, uh, this is what John's talking about. Now, in the flow of the book, uh, we're looking at Revelation chapter 13. We're going to go back next week and talk about what John describes as the dragon. The dragon is Satan. We're going to talk who is Satan, where does Satan come from, what are Satan's schemes, how does Satan trick people. If you've ever had questions about that, we'll be talking about that uh, next week. But here in Revelation 13, he talks about uh, not one beast, but two uh, different beasts, and he's using language that's coded. John was in exile for his views on power and what Christians, how Christians were to respond to power. And so he uses this coded language uh, to help people understand um, what he's talking about, about the nature of evil in his day, and then how we can respond to the nature of evil in our day. Um, and, and that's the question that he's working with. How do you respond to evil, the things that take your life and take your family's life? Take the life of our nation. How do you respond to evil? This is what John's talking about. So he talks about first in, in verses 1 to 11, we didn't read it, uh, this first beast is what, what comes out of the sea. So it's a sea beast, and it's this kind of hideous thing. It's got um, ten horns, and it's got seven heads, and it's kind of a patchwork animal. It's part leopard, it's part bear, it's part lion, and, and it rules by intimidation and force and charisma. At one point, all the people see the beast, and they say, who is like the beast? Isn't that? And they're like, hey, have you seen the beast? The beast is awesome, because they fall in front of the beast's power and intimidating personality. And then the beast receives a wound 
on, the head, on his head and is almost dead. And, and, uh, and John says, this is the beast that wins by intimidation. There's a personification of evil. There's a reality of evil in our world that wins and beats people by sheer intimidation. Have you ever been intimidated by someone or something? And this is what John says. He says uh, in verse 10, he said, whenever you're encountering evil in this way, we're going to unpack it a little bit more, This is what he says, this calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of God's people. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of God's people. This is what he says our response is to be anytime we encounter an evil like this. Now, there are a couple of misunderstandings that I want to clear up about about the nature of the beast and how people perceive it. Uh, The beast is not synonymous with, maybe you've heard this word, the Antichrist. How many of you have heard that word, Antichrist? Yeah, a lot of you have. Uh, the, 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 the word antichrist uh, is actually not in the book of Revelation at all, in any form. Uh, it is, however, in the letter that John wrote, 1 John. John's one of the disciples of Jesus, also the writer of this book. And so it's in his brain, at least. And in 1 John, he warns people in several places in 1 John, I'll show you one of the verses here in a second, that there is a spirit of antichrist, a spirit that's opposed, so opposed to the purposes of Jesus. He calls it antichrist. And so uh, he says this in 1 John chapter 4. He says, this is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges Jesus has come in the flesh is from God. So anyone who says this is, this is Jesus, he's here, he's real, he's in the flesh. Uh, but every, now notice what he says, every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. In other words, someone says, I don't want anything to do with Jesus. I don't need Jesus. I don't need, I don't need the real Jesus. Uh, this is, listen, this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming. And listen to what he says. And even now is already in the world. So John wrote this 2,000 years ago, and he says, there is a spirit at work at all times and places that is opposed to Jesus, is even now in the world. See, if, if you are familiar with some interpretations of Revelation, the picture is, you know, we're going to find this mysterious figure in the future somewhere, and we'll identify him as the Antichrist, and we'll know to avoid him. And John says, that person's already here. That kind of evil is already influencing you. You need to pay attention and notice it. So that's the, the first misunderstanding. This is not the Antichrist. It's not what John's trying to say. Uh, that This is a person we're will identify in the future. This is a, a spirit that's at work now. And then the second thing is that we would interpret Revelation and think that's only about us right now. Uh, this was written uh, to the Christians in Rome and uh, the churches in uh, what's now modern-day Turkey in some cities there. And it was written around the time of the emperor Nero. Maybe you're familiar with Nero. Nero is the, the Roman emperor. He was a, a despot. He was maniacal. He was mentally ill. Uh, he blamed the Christians for the burning of Rome. He's the one that started the phrase, throw the Christians to the lions. Uh, he was a persecutor. He was an intimidator. He was a bully. He killed anybody who didn't agree with him. And uh, so John is writing a letter to people who are oppressed by a ruler like that. So it, it's just, it might, you just might pause for a second and say, okay, well, if we're members of the most powerful nation on earth, then maybe we might need to do a little bit of work to understand the context because we're not oppressed by an evil leader. Whatever you think about the current administration, we're not oppressed by a dictator, okay? Just FYI. So we, we kind of have a little bit of an arrogance in our interpretation of the book of Revelation and think, well, well, God wouldn't send a message to those people under massive oppression and persecution. He just wrote something for us today in the 21st century. No, no, God cares about people in every century. So it's not just about now. 
And so what John is trying to teach us is when you're bullied by evil, what is it that you're to do as a Christian? And what he says is that this calls for patience, patient endurance, and faithfulness on the part of God's people. Now, if you know uh, something about uh, Scripture and you know uh, something about the New Testament, you might know some of the letters that the Apostle Paul wrote. He wrote a lot of what we know of as the New Testament. And uh, in his letter to the Christians in Ephesus, um, he, he says something very, very similar to what John is telling us. He just uses different language. Maybe you've seen this before. This is in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. He says about the struggle that we're in. He says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. In the heavenly realm. Have you ever felt like there are forces aligned against you? Now, if, you, if you're a woman, I, I, I'm obviously not a woman. Uh, I hope that's obvious. Um, <laughs> but I've, I've talked to a lot of women. I've said, tell me, uh, tell me your experience of being a woman in America. And uh, not, not all, um, but many will use words like uh, intimidation, ostracization, <laughs> Uh, I'm, I'm paid less than men just by the virtue of being a woman. I'm talked down to, I'm put down, I'm looked down on. It's like there's a force against you if you're a woman in America. Or uh, if, you're, if you have black skin and you grew up in America, then, and, and listen, whatever you think about these issues I'm bringing up right now, I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to tell you uh, to listen, I'm trying to tell you not to listen to all the voices that say, well, this is this, this is that. Whenever there's an issue and someone says that a, a people group feels a certain way, go talk to that people group and don't listen to the news. Get your own firsthand account, okay? So I, I've, I've had mo- many conversations with people with, that are black in America, and they use the same kind of language, like intimidation and segregation and hate because of my skin color. And it's like there's a force that is intentionally push them down. Now, this is the same thing if you grow up poor in America. We even call it the cycle of poverty. I would argue there is, there's some sociological things to that, but there's a spiritual force that keeps people trapped in that and keeps them desperate and addicted. Not, not everybody who's poor is that way. Do you hear me? But there, there are forces, John says and Paul says, that are aligned. It's, it's a struggle that we have to fight. And so Paul even gives us advice on how to fight it, and he um, subverts one of the images that everyone would have understood, and, and he says this, and, and I'm going I'm to use Mike Treem. Mike, will you come up here and be my guinea pig for this? He, he gives us, he tells us what to do when there are struggles, and he uses the image of a Roman soldier. Now, we've got a, a Roman soldier costume. Here you go. Can you put this on for me? Thank you. Put that on right there. Okay. And Paul uh, takes the image. Here's your helmet. It's very expensive. Put that on. Get your sword and your shield right there. There we go. Okay. Yeah, they're perfect, isn't it? <laughs> Terrifying figure. So here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to dress you right here because you're all sagging there. We don't oh, want that. Okay. Gonna, right? There we go. So what Paul says, he, he says, listen, he uses the image of the oppressor that everyone would have seen on the streets every day. You got to understand what Paul's doing. They're wrestling, and they're wrestling against the power, and this is the symbol of the power they're wrestling against, and Paul subverts the image, and he says, okay, listen, he said, what you need to do is you need to take the belt of truth, 
We have this on the screen. I'll put it for you. The, the belt is the thing that holds the whole thing together. In other words, if you know the truth, you can hold everything together, Paul says. He says, and then you have the breastplate of righteousness that uh, if someone tried to come at you with a spear or shoot you with an arrow, that would protect your heart. If you, the breastplate of righteousness is knowing who you are in Jesus, knowing your identity. If you know who you are, you know that God's declared you righteous and is in the process of making you righteous and you're a work in progress, but you're a loved son or daughter of God. Man, that'll protect your heart from a lot of wounds of the world. And then he talks about your feet being fitted with the readiness of the, uh, the gospel peace. We'll talk about that in a second. Go to the next slide. Um, if you would, guys. And then, then he talks about this. In addition, take up the shield of faith, the confidence and trust that you have in God can, distinguish, that can extinguish the arrows of the evil one. And then he take, that, take the helmet of salvation. What does a helmet do? It protects your, your head. It protects your mind. If you know that you are saved by the grace of God, and you know that you know that you know that you are loved by God, and you didn't earn it yourself, that is a protection for your thought patterns. And then he says, then you take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. You take that as the active thing you use to fight. And then he says something really interesting uh, in, in verse 13. He says, once you put on the whole armor of God, then what you need to do when the day of evil comes is you need to be able to stand your ground. So I'm going to have you step all the way up to the front right there. And, and when you have done everything, uh, stand. Now, I've got I to illustrate this for you. So what they would do is they would put on um, these almost like, it would be like cleats, but with long spikes. And when the Roman soldiers would fight, they would put, their, they would put those long uh, shoes on and they would push down into the earth like this and they would hold their swords next to each other. And when, when the enemy came at them, uh, they would, that, that, so spikes down in the ground would enable them to stand because you know in a battle, the last person standing is the winner, right? So Paul's saying, after you've done every, the end, in the end of all of this, you need to be the person who is standing, still standing, enduring, not giving up, patient, enduring, all the things that are coming at you and being thrown at you. You're to stand. So you think, thank Mike, he can go sit down there. Maggie will probably love it if you dress like that at home. I don't know. So, so what, we're, what we're talking about here is that you develop a mindset that says, I'm never no, never, no, never going to give up because of the power of God. It's what Winston Churchill said to England in World War II. He said, never, no, never, no, never get up. Let's just, let's just take that and make that the thing we need to tell ourselves because of the power of God in us to fight evil. Say it with me. Never, no, never, no, never give up. One more time. Never, no, never, no, never give up. You're watching in your computer or on your phone. Say it with us all right now. Ready? Really loud. Never, no, never, no, never give up. You're never going to give up. You never, you're going to stand. When it's all the dust has settled, you're still going to be standing by the power of God when you face a world that's full of evil. That's the first beast. The second beast, uh, he says, that we looked at and we read, is uh, this land beast. Now notice what he says. It had two horns like a lamb. Who's the lamb? Jesus. So it's looking like a lamb, trying to trick you to think that it's like Jesus, but it spoke like a dragon. Now we'll talk again, talk about the dragon next week. That's Satan. Um, what's going on? He's, he's saying that this is a, a beast that wins by manipulation and uses religious language to legitimize his actions. The sea beast wins by intimidation. The land beast wins by manipulation. This is a religious person who's claiming religious authority for their actions. I love how C.S. Lewis said it. He said, of all the bad men, religious bad men are the worst. Notice he didn't say religious men are the worst. He said, of all the bad men, religious 
bad men are the worst. Why? Because they cloak evil in the language of goodness and divinity. Um, It's why you see in the news from time to time that someone who was a trusted person in a church setting is abusing children. I, I I mean, I need you to know we have systems and structures and policies in place to prevent that from, God forbid, ever happening here. Um, it's, why, it's why there's been, I've known of stories, not here. Again, we have systems and practices to help keep this from happening. Someone, you know, oh, yeah, I'll usher, and oh, I, I'm a little short. I just think I'll take some, I mean, I'm, I've worked really hard, and I, I deserve it. God would want me to have that. Uh, it's, it's, when, it's when government officials and authorities use religious language to legitimize what they do. And, and, Paul, and Paul and John are both saying, you need, you, need to, you need to see what's happening. You need to understand what's going on when that kind of thing happens. Because uh, he says that this, this beast made everyone take a mark, and they couldn't buy or sell unless they had the mark on their hands. Now, this is uh, Roman. Nero is the emperor at the time, and he wins by intimidation, but he also wins by manipulation because um, he wanted to be perceived as a god, and he, people had to worship him. And so you would go to festivals, and you'd be part of unions, and you would pay dues. And if you did all that, then you could buy and you could sell. You had his mark. You literally had his mark on you. Now, there's, there's a ton of speculation about what the mark is. Um, I, when I was growing up, some people thought that, that the mark was phone numbers. All of a sudden, you could dial digitally, and that somehow it was phone numbers. And some people said, no, it's not that. It's credit card numbers. And then, then, then barcodes came along. I'm like, wow, oh, there's 666 in every barcode. I'm telling you, it's the, it's the mark of the beast. Uh, then there was this computer that came in Belgium called the beast, and everyone was, well, there it is. It's in Belgium, right? <laughs> Uh, the problem with that line of thinking is those all depend on technology, and so if you go to rural Kenya or go to Cal- the slums of Calcutta, India, uh, India, those people have no access to technology, so that kind of rules that out. So let me give you my, my best two educated guesses as to what 666 means. I'm, I'm not telling you this is absolutely the case. I'm pretty sure I'm right uh, after doing a whole lot of study and research because uh, this is such a, a confusing thing. Um, when, when I, again, other examples of 666, if you took uh, Bill Gates' name, uh, Bill Gates III, you know, the founder of Microsoft, wealthiest man in, in the world, one of, and you change that to the ASCII code, which is the computer code, that numerically reads out to 666. Uh, some people thought Ronald Wilson Reagan, six letters in each name, 666. Uh, JFK, when he was president, got 666 votes at the Democratic Convention, and then he got a wound on his head. Oh, it's the, it's the beast. Uh, but here's what I vote for. I, I vote for, uh, this is, again, John is writing to people who are oppressed by Nero, and when you take the numbers in Nero's name, and this was a common thing, and we, we still do it today, where you have a number stand in for a reality or a name, if I said to you 1776, independence. If I said to you 911, they were bombed. Uh, so it's a very common thing in his day to, uh, to assign a numeric value to a name, and when you spell out uh, the number of the name of Nero, it comes out to 666. Six, six. So he's saying, pay attention. Pay attention to the spirit of Antichrist. Uh, then also, I think this is also what he means, and, and as I tell you this, I'm, I'm telling you this is 666. is probably not what you think it, it meant, but I'm also going to tell you that it's worse than you think, but there's a remedy for it, okay? Uh, I think he also is saying 666 is less than, less than, less than. So um, 
uh, seven is the number of perfection in the scriptures. All the way through Revelation, there's seven, seven bowls and seven trumpets and seven lampstands and seven spirits. It's the number of perfection. Uh, one of the other numbers of perfection is three. And so 666 is three times short of 777. 666 is not less than, less than, less than. Human, human, human. Evil, evil, evil. Now, so I think we can give up the non-biblical idea of looking for a person with numbers, but we have to take John's advice and we have, to not, we have to have our imagination made into a holy imagination and begin to see where the spirit of Antichrist is operating at any place and time. Because listen, it's worse, it's worse than you think too, okay? Because this is what he says, verse 18. This calls for wisdom. Let the person who has insight calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a what? Say it louder. Man. That number is 666. Now, what is wisdom? Wisdom is the ability to see beneath the surface. One of my mentors uh, taught me when I was early learning to be a leader. He said, listen, the issue is never the issue. In other words, there's always one layer deeper, and if you want to help somebody, help them figure out what they may not even know what the issue, real issue is. Help them figure out what the real issue is. Solve the real issue, and then the, the thing that's the symptom will resolve itself. That's wisdom. Wisdom looks underneath the surface at what's always happening. And so he says, this, this calls for this whole thing. He says, this calls for wisdom. This calls for you to pause and think about this for a second and understand what's going on. Because this is why it's worse than you think it is. If this is man's number, guess what that means? You already have the mark of the beast on you, and so do I. I carry it around with me everywhere I go, and so do you. Have you ever, have you ever said this to yourself? Not enough, not enough, not enough. Always choose the wrong, always choose the wrong, always choose the wrong. Why can't I get it right? Why can't I get it right? Why can't I get it right? We walk around with it all the time. It's our number. John pegs us. But here, I, this is the best part, okay? <laughs> that's never the last story. That's never the last chapter in God's story. Evil is, does not have the last word. When Jesus was on the cross, you know what Jesus was the victim of? He was the victim of intimidation and manipulation. And on the cross, Paul says that what Jesus did on the cross and through his resurrection is he made a public spectacle of the powers that would do that. And he said, thanks be to, he calls, tells the Corinthians, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession. And he's referencing when all the Romans would come in and they would bring back uh, the, the people that they captured. At the very end of the procession would be the general of the army they defeated. And everyone would laugh at the general as he came by in that triumphal procession. And what Paul is saying is that on the cross, Jesus made a mockery of the enemy who thought he'd won. I marked everybody. I got them. I, I got their number. And Jesus is like, oh, no, you don't. Oh, no, you don't. I have the last word. And, and by my death and by my resurrection, I wash people clean of the numbers that they have been marked with. And I mark them with a new number and a new name and a new symbol. I, mark, I give them my mark. I give them the mark of the Lamb. In fact, if you read on uh, just a little bit further and you go to the next, the next chapter uh, in, in, John, uh, in Revelation chapter 14, this is what he says. He says, uh, Then I looked, 
And there before me was the lamb. See, the, the beast and the dragon are 12 and 13. Chapters 12 and 13. Standing on Mount Sinai with him, 144,000. Listen, listen. Who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. In other words, there was the beast and how the beast marked people. And yeah, that's everybody's number, but I gave them a new mark. Like we baptized all those people. You know, you know what was happening in the waters of baptism? Symbolically, we're, God's washed everything in the past away. <laughs> what used to be my number is not my number anymore. All the times that I was not enough and I'm not enough and not enough and I chose the wrong and I chose the wrong and I washed away. New number, new name, new identity. It's the beautiful message of Jesus. Tim's going to come play and I'm going to ask you to do something. Um, when, when you come, we're going to do the blessing. I'm going to pray for you in a minute. And um, down here, some people are going to be down here with, uh, with permanent markers. And um, if you would like, they're going to give you a new mark on your right hand. If you're brave, you can do what Revelation 14 says and you can have them write it on your forehead. You're welcome to do that. It's, that's up to you. But I want you to, I want you to come and, and, and be marked. You see, John deals in, in black and white and, and what he's saying is you are either on the side of the lamb because you've chosen to go with the lamb or you are unintentionally on the side of the beast. There is no middle ground. You pick. And so if you don't choose the lamb, what you are doing by default is choosing the beast and you're choosing the number of intimidation and the number of manipulation and the number that will always take you in the wrong direction and haunt you for the rest of your life. But you can be marked with a new mark. And so I would love it if when we're done, we do the blessing, you come down and you get a new mark. Now you might even want to do this. You might say, I want my whole family. And you might go back and get your kids and you bring your kids down and you We'll, we'll stay down here for a little bit. If you want to do that, you bring your kids back. We'll put the mark of the cross. It's symbolic. You understand that, right? But what you're doing by doing is you're saying, I need what was there before to be washed away, and I need the new mark. I need the new identity, or I'm reaffirming my mark and my identity, and that's who I belong to, and that's who I'm always going to belong to. I've had this on my hand uh, for several days. We talked about this a few days ago doing this, and um, I've been kind of surprised how I look at this throughout the day, and I go, oh, I'm, I'm one of those people. The gym, I'm like, I'm one of those people. Talking to my kids, I'm one of those people. Talking to my neighbor, oh, I'm one of those people. I want you to be one of those people today. Let's pray. Would you stand with me? Thank you, Jesus, for the cross. Thank you that you are the lamb that has been slaughtered but is still standing. Thank you that you are the lamb that wins. And any, any talk about evil, any talk about numbers, any talk about beasts has to be heard in light of your victory on the cross and in your resurrection. And we say thank you for that. Thank you that you have the power today to set somebody free. They've been trapped by a number. They've been trapped by a mark. They've been trapped by a name. They've been trapped by what someone has said about them for years, and they don't know how to break free. And, and we know that there is an enemy who wants our, wants our downfall. And so thank you for the cross and the resurrection whereby you wipe the past clean and you mark us as your own and we want to belong to you. We want to be people of the cross and people of the resurrection. And so by your 
Resurrection power today, Jesus, would you set some people free as they receive the mark of the lamb on their hand? We say thank you for this in advance. All God's people said, amen. You're sent out to love God, to love people, to serve the world in Jesus' name. Uh, Come down and receive the mark of the cross.